Welcome to the latest issue of China Success, a podcast designed to showcase examples of foreign businesses doing business in China and having success in China. And I'm delighted today to have Rob Phillips here, the CEO uh, of Uscom Limited, one of Australia's great healthcare success stories. Welcome, Rob. Great to have you on our podcast. Thanks, David. Thanks for the invitation. Now, Rob, perhaps you could just start by telling us a bit about your China journey. I know you've been going there for 15 years or so, so you've seen a lot of change uh, in terms of their healthcare system and their economy generally. Could you give us a bit of a flavour of what you found by being on the ground in China over such a long period? Well, it's interesting. My my journey into China started when I was a student. I got a scholarship to go and look at the health system very post sort of uh, opening up of China. And we spent, I think, six weeks travelling around through all the major cities, um, you know, in the early 80s. And uh, it was uh, astounding, absolutely astounding. So I then sort of ended up going back, I think, in the early 90s. And then in uh, 98 or so, started to go there on invitation for educational purposes with uh, medicine and uh, echo and cardiology and things. So, uh, since then, I would say since 2004, 2003, 2004, when our devices were actually approved fast track due to the SARS um, pandemic, ironically, um, it was the intro for us into China. We got an accelerated NMPA and we wrote a lot of papers and uh, information about uh, how we could improve the management of SARS. And thankfully, SARS disappeared quite quickly and it de didn't end up be being the catastrophe that was predicted. But what happened was that we became a part of the critical care uh, infectious disease uh, story in China. And, uh, you know, China's got 1.4 billion people. Infectious diseases are not uncommon. You know, the US is a big country and infectious diseases are not uncommon from there either. Um, you know, the 1918 uh, Kansas flu. Um, Europe has pandemics. It's a far, part of our lives. And uh, dealing with it prophylactically has been something that we've sort of been engaged with in China and teaching a lot about management of septic, sepsis and septic shock in paediatrics and uh, adults. Uh, so I've had pretty close firsthand um, experience um, with uh, the evolution of the medical system in China. And um, I've perhaps done maybe 150 lectures there over the last 10 or 15 years uh, at a national level. And Rob, let's talk a little bit about China's health system generally, because, you know, I think many people from afar think that it's, you know, very much a public system. It's, you know, it's probably quite slow and, and not particularly innovative. And, you know, there's obviously thousands of hundreds of thousands of people um, needing healthcare on a daily basis. What's your uh, take on China's healthcare system uh, in recent times? There's no doubt it's changed. Uh, one of the key metrics in the last two five-year plans has been to improve the quality and access of healthcare, and they've committed to increase their GDP um, percentage investment from six percent to twelve percent. Alternately, US is going from eighteen to twelve, managing it in a slightly different way. What they've also done has been incredibly strategic. They've taken on partnerships from the major international hospitals who are keen to get engaged 
in the opportunity that 1.4 billion people offers. So uh, they are very focused. Internationally, they are very keen to bring people to uh, China to talk. Um, there was a very interesting um, assessment of China uh, and its performance technologically, and they say, look, in nanotechnology, AI, we are world leaders, but in the space of bioscience and entrepreneurship and technology, biotechnology, we can do with some improvements. So it's a stated position of focus for them to improve this aspect, and USCOMs benefited significantly from that. We were um, identified by the People's Republic as a national high technology, high value enterprise. Um, and so that takes into account your patents, your performance, your contribu contribution on a whole host of metrics, but they are very focused on that. And they give those awards and those awards give you tangible tax benefits, tender benefits, recognition, um, access to all sorts of systems in all sorts of provinces. But uh, there is no doubt that at, at the higher levels in the places like Beijing and Chengdu and um, Shanghai, for example, the standard of medicine is as high as anywhere in the world and probably higher. They have a much higher intense focus on academic performance, um, publications, etc. And while 10 or 15 years ago their output may have been not at the forefront, certainly no one can criticise their performance now. And the um, COVID example was a very good one. The way they responded and uh, released data and information and published results was exemplary and it was very insightful and it was continuous. So they are very focused on improving their level of healthcare. Once you get out into the more remote areas, there's no doubt that uh, it's a little more a little more challenging. And so pragmatically, they've focused on tele and e health. So they are now world leaders in tele and e health delivery. I remember doing a, a, a lecture up there and uh, there was only 1,500 or 2,000 people in the hall but we were talking to like 60,000 people because it had been syndicated across remotely across all of China. And rather than three or four people in each hospital, they brought together like two or 300 and everybody watched what was going on. And uh, that's what the scale is about. That's how you have to improve quality of care delivery. And um, it's quite inspirational to see that because they've, accepted the challenge and uh, focused very closely on it and have achieved a lot and will achieve a lot going forward. And we're a part of that process. And I think that's very exciting for someone like me who's been not only in China for 15 years, but I've been in the US and Europe and Australia and, and in Asia. We're a global company. So we get to compare the relative progress and performance across many um, different aspects or metrics of, of healthcare and health delivery. And uh, they're investing a lot of money and they will drive the system very hard to uh, achieve the highest levels. And it's exciting to be involved in that. 
Yeah, I'm sure some of the things you said would surprise lots of people um, in terms of their innovation and investment. But uh, obviously, you've just come back from China in, in the last few days. So you've lived in China through a lot of this COVID period. And I know that to some extent, COVID plays quite to your strengths as a business. So tell us a bit about what it's been like over the last year or two in China uh, as they've adopted this sort of COVID zero position and what it's meant for you and your business. Look, there. It seems to me that every every different political system has a different solution for COVID, and unfortunately, not all of it takes into account the, the medical facts. But um, China took the zero zero approach. Um, they seem to have had amazing results on the ground. Uh, you know, scepticism tends to characterise the viewpoint from many outside China. I've been in China and they're not overwhelmed. There are not millions of silent sick. It's in line with what you would expect. They they jumped onto Wuhan. They did have the zero shutdown, which was probably set the standard for um, tight control uh, in, in acute phases. But since then, and I wasn't there at that time, I was there immediately after, um, I could move freely in China and I've moved freely around. Every now and again, intermittently, there are bouts and they isolate those areas, they trace very closely. Um, and it seems that they've managed the outcomes really well. I'm not sure how it's going to happen with Omicron because uh, it's an incredibly contagious disease. And they're going to have people coming for the world over for the um, summer games and uh, the winter games, rather. But uh, they've done really, really well. They've also studied um, infectious diseases. One of their responses very early on was to establish 50 or so um, infectious disease hospitals. And our devices are fitted into all of those hospitals. They continue to expand into infectious disease hospitals because they know that Globally, COVID will come and go, but there will be COVID-10, COVID-20, COVID-200, COVID-5000, whatever kinds of infectious diseases they are, they will be a fact of how we exist on this planet, and they are planning ahead for that. And uh, I've got to admire that. There are not many other countries in the world that are doing any more than just trying to keep their ICUs afloat. And... Uh, Planning 20 years down the track is a very Chinese feature and uh, you've got to admire that, I think, you know. Yeah. So, Rob, just getting down to the nuts and bolts then. So, uh, you know, there is a perception that it's very hard to make money in China, um, that it's very hard to protect your IP and technology in China. Um, so as a as a somebody in this space yourself, how do you find dealing with the Chinese as a from a business perspective? Are you able to make money and have you been able to protect your IP as well? Look, I think we we tend to sort of hang on dogma that's 20 years old. Most people haven't been to China and certainly haven't been to China serially. The only places that have ever breached our patents have been in the US. Um, there are different characteristics of each system and there's no doubt that the IP system in China is changing. Uh, Ten years ago, IP was not a factor of their law. 
the government there realised that if they actually wanted to have value in their own patents as they developed new technologies, they had to respect other patents internationally as well. Also, they want to engage internationally. It's for them, they don't want a, 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 an isolated world. They want to be a part of the engagement. They want to manufacture and export goods. So they have to have they have to engage in the patent system. And they've made great steps forward. Now, I'm not saying that it's perfect, but your chances of prosecuting now in China for, for uh, um, patent breach are very high and you will do well. And every time that uh, the government come out and talk, they say, respect patents, and we will make examples of people who breach patents. Remember, China is not a simple sort of... Uh, organization. This is 1.4 billion. And many of those people are scuttling around going about their own businesses in their own ways, the same ways they do the world over. And it's not that easy to control them all and manage them in the most appropriate legal ways. So the guidance comes, the pressure comes, and it drives towards a an ideal end point, an ideal end point, which is equivalent to international standards. And they do that better than anybody. They identify a problem, they address it and resolve it. And uh, look, patents are getting a lot easier to manage in China. Uh, finances, it's like anywhere else. You, you deal with government bodies, you deal with private bodies, you get paid, you take money out of the country, you put money into the country. It's just normal business. It's not, it's not I wouldn't say not that much more challenging, but it's different. But Success is certainly within reach. In terms of scale, if you have something that is of value to them, as, as it is in US, Europe and Australia, you know, that's what determines the value of your products. Is it contributory? Does it add value to the community? And you do something good, you do something well, whether it's electronic cars or whatever, uh, it has a, has a market value. We're fortunate we're in medical devices. We see our devices as being a front line of medical diplomacy, if you like. We are open-minded about who we help. doesn't matter whether it's children in China or Europe or the US. And we should never forget that kind of thing, not only with, with medical devices, but also general social um, interactions. And that's, we're all the same. We want health, prosperity um, and success. It's, it's very simple. Our nation's identified as being discreet from that. So just to be clear, um, actually, two points you made. I mean, firstly, around IP. Um, of course, it helps that China's starting to export its own IP. So it's starting to have to worry about uh, patents in other countries. Um, but you found that you can get money in, you can get money out, you can get paid you, you know, on time, that you, know, you don't have any sort of uh, problems around that. And you can grow a business there. Um, which um, is at least comparable to or better than other parts of the world in which you do business. 60% of our revenue comes from China. Wow. And it's partly because we've invested and spent time there. We've also set up a structure and we recognise how the system operates. Uh, the same as we do in Europe. We work in many countries in Europe and each has their own idiosyncrasy. US has a number of peculiarities that you have to adapt with and adapt to and work with. But that's what international business is about. And I think we should be very cautious about singling out China as any uh, 
unattainable or complex or overly difficult system. It's a slightly different system, but it's increasingly convergent. And so uh, business, doing business there, they want to do business. They depend on exports. They depend on imports. So they have to interrelate. And as do the rest of us. That's a, a globalised model. And despite the challenges to globalisation, I don't think anybody who, who works internationally doubts that we need globalisation, we need interaction. Countries and cultures are different. You adapt to them and you comply with them. It's very difficult to go in as a, uh, an outsider and start revolutionising either the US or China in the model that suits me. It's not, not my business. We're offering medical devices, medical services. And um, just just let's talk a little bit about your your business. So uh, one of the reasons I met you is that I was I met three of your team based in Sydney who were all Chinese. Um, and I thought it was ironic that um, you know that you had Australian based Chinese employees are working for a foreigner who was actually in China. Um, so I presume you have a very sort of local uh, workforce both in China and in Australia, and no doubt in other parts of the world too. Well, it's interesting because. They're all Australian educated. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, you know, they're Australians as far as anybody's concerned. Something like 10 or 15% of Australia has uh, Chinese origins. We shouldn't forget that we've been trading and mixing with Asia for a long time. We live just next door. And uh, that's the Australian way. And, uh, you know, the irony of me being in China, I come back and I sort of say, you know, I'm, I'm missing my uh, Sichuan noodles. I need spicy noodles now. And they say, oh, we want a pizza. <laughs> I say, no, no, no. <laughs> so there are sort of interactions like that. And, but it's in, the same in China. A lot of our people have international educations um, and the same in Europe. You know, people, and I, I try to keep our, our business businesses as, as cosmopolitan as, pro, as, as possible so that exchange and there is no sort of partitioning or segmentation of our, our operations. But uh, that's how the world is. You know, we travel. We, well, we used to. I'm, you know, pandemic's changed a little bit. But we all travel. We fly. We interact. We've all been to these places. And that's why none of these trade wars or sort of uh, things make much sense to us. Because we've all been to China, we've all been to Europe, we've all been to the US, and there are great people doing great things in all of these countries, and that's fantastic. Mm. So, Rob, look, last question from me. Um, for other people in the healthcare space, in you know, medical devices, technology, innovation, all thinking about China, haven't yet started their China journey, you're, you're 15 years ahead of them. What, what would you pass on to them as some of the key learnings that you've experienced and you know, what, they should, what, you know, what they should do to be successful in China? Well, it's interesting, David. I, I know what it took to be successful yesterday. I don't know what it takes to be successful tomorrow. But, but I can recommend that there are a number of really good organisations in China, Austrade particularly, Aust Chamber of Commerce, um, uh, any of the state groups are, are represented there. And their, their task has become more difficult perhaps in the last two years, but they are genuinely good people committed to 
driving trade and economic relationships. And they've chosen to live in China because they know there's a big opportunity there. So seeking out those folk and taking guidance, you know, the embassies have been fantastic for us. You know, they connect you to the right people. They can talk to people on the other side and they know a lot more about internally what's going on in business. So I think you've got to be brave and just say, I'm going to do it. Very few people can afford in whatever business they're in to ignore a 1.4 billion market that is just nearby to us. Um, I think you've got to work out, and I think each business perhaps has slightly different challenges and what the, the problems that I've found or the challenges I've found in medicine have probably been less than some of those others because academically you bring something to the table Product-wise, you bring something to the table and they're high priorities to, to the Chinese system. So you probably get an easy pass. For a lot of other folk, it's it's um, you just have to explore your market, know your market, be persistent. Um, and I think that's a, that's a really big and important thing. And that is be persistent, be dogged, and you'll get it done. If there's an opportunity for Chinese to work with you, they will. They will work out a way to make it profitable if they can on-sell it. And they'll negotiate and talk with you. So you work out and say, look, your product's too expensive. They'll work that out. You then negotiate and, and, and adjust. So I think be brave, get background, get support, and be persistent is my cluster of advice. And it's, is it too late or is, is there plenty of opportunity for everyone? Look, I, I think there are. we're in a position which is not, particularly easy at the moment. Having said that, there's 1.4 billion people. And if there's a profit to be made, like in most systems, people will make it. And trade trumps politics anytime. Commercial interest will ultimately prevail. And um, we've, we've worked with China for a long time. You know, it's the same as with Europe, same as with the US. Interesting challenges, deal with them and... Um, you'll do, do well, you'll be successful. Well, Rob, thank you for sharing all this knowledge with us on the China Success Podcast. Um, Uscom is a great example of a foreign business being successful in China. We'll put some notes in the podcast so people can go to your website and find out a bit more. Um, but we wish you great success in the future. Thank you for sharing this with us. And uh, we'll talk to you again in a few years when you've made a few more millions. <laughs> Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thank you, everyone, for being on the China Success Podcast. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>